0: I can remember the night, I can remember where I was, even though I cannot put a name on the on the cinema. It was a cinema in Dublin, which I was attending with a girlfriend. And um, during the interval, an announcement was made by the management of the effect that President John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. And I can remember at the moment when the news was announced, a sudden hush fell over the entire audience. But uh, the most amazing thing, from my point of view, looking back over the years is what happened subsequently. The lights went out, the uh, film continued, and nobody, as far as I could see, left the cinema.
1: And I remember going down to the hotel that evening to work, and, of course, all the conversation was about J.F. Kennedy, and, of course, everybody felt that he was one of their family. And it was. It was very tragic, there's no doubt about it. I was in Mother's
2: in, uh, at home during some ironing whenever a news flash came over television to say that John F Kennedy had been assassinated and of course greatly shocked and I called out to the rest of the family in the house to come quickly to hear what had happened we just couldn't believe it
0: I can remember the uh, the door, uh, a knock came to the door I went out and uh, my friend from about ten doors down in the estate where we lived uh up breathlessly to say that uh, the news had just come in that President Kennedy was shot and that he was dead I remember running into my mother the two of us, instinctively I don't know why it was, we ran out uh, out the garden path and as I looked down the estate, it was amazing because there were people, mainly uh, women now, housewives I suppose, all coming out their doors, all out onto their paths and then eventually all out into little knots and huddles on the street. <music> To everything, there was a time. A time for journeys back to the Irish roots. A time to declare himself a Berliner. But on the morning of Friday, November 22nd, 1963, the President of the United States of America, John Kennedy, is into a time of early campaign. As yet, the next presidential election is a year away, but there's a lot of travelling to be done. There are contacts to be made and renewed. The 1960 majority was a slim one. The vote must be increased if a second term is to be a reality. So Kennedy has come to Texas, a hotbed of conservatism, but a state that's vital to his aspirations. On that Friday morning, he breakfasts at Fort Worth. It's a working breakfast, but a jovial one.
3: Two years ago, I said that uh, introduced myself in Paris by saying that I was the man who had accompanied uh, Mrs Kennedy to Paris. I'm getting that somewhat that same sensation uh, as I travel around uh, Texas. Nobody wonders what Lyndon and I wear.
1: (laughs) Don't you ever
4: leave me sad and blue Don't you ever tell me we are through Don't you ever hurt me if you do Everything they're saying will be true
0: After breakfast, the Kennedy entourage boards Air Force One for the trip to Love Field, Dallas. Texas is hostile country to the Kennedy administration. Between 1961 and 1962, 34 threats from that state alone have been made on Kennedy's life. Lyndon Johnson had been attacked by a mob during the 1960 campaign in Dallas. Malcolm Kilduff, a Kennedy aide, is apprehensive about the Dallas trip.
5: I just kind of worried about Dallas. Uh, It was... uh the so-called hotbed of uh, of Birchism, and uh, it just seemed if there was any place in Texas where we'd have trouble, we'd had, we would have trouble there. When Stevenson was in Dallas, uh, they threw eggs and tomatoes at him and picketed and uh, just uh, made a mockery of his appearance in Dallas. So uh, in my own mind, uh, that was the only place where we would have uh, any problem at all.
0: But Kilduff is surprised by the genuine welcome that awaits the Kennedys at Love Field.
5: I expressed concern and said, I'd be glad when we're out of this, this stop. Uh, when we got on the ground, the uh, welcome was tremendous. It was heartwarming. The whole motorcade was heartwarming. It was a complete surprise to me because we saw so little anti-Kennedy feeling uh, that uh, I felt greatly relieved, and I was uh, perfectly relaxed. In the wire service car, we were just more or less chit-chatting and uh, uh, remarking on the uh, fine turnout and the very friendly turnout. Security
0: has been uppermost in the minds of those planning the trip to Dallas and is uppermost in the minds of those watching the Kennedys' arrival at the airbase at 11.37 that morning. The only ones who seem unconcerned about security are John and Jacqueline Kennedy.
6: It looks like a police convention. We have never seen as many Dallas police officers in one location in all of our years of covering Dallas news, but they are here in great profusion. The security precautions at this luncheon they're going to attend range from the distance from the president's car door to the trademark entrance and to how many doors and windows are in the building and even the method of selecting the state the president will eat. And here is the presidential jet, U.S. Air Force number one, printed on the side, and the crowd begins its cheer, which you can't hear over the whistle and hum of the jet. But handkerchiefs are being waved, the placards are being held high, and hundreds of tiny American flags are now being waved toward the presidential jet. The doors fly open, and the loading ladders are being wheeled into place. This is a split second timed operation for the Secret Service and the Air Force and the Signal Corps. Nothing left to chance. Every possible precaution has been taken. The reception line is formed and there is Mrs. Kennedy, the first lady stepping from the plane, wearing a bright pink suit with a dark fur collar and a matching pink hat. And the president wearing a dark suit steps off directly behind. Mrs. Kennedy has been presented her bouquet of brilliant red roses and they make a lovely contrast to the bright pink suit she is wearing. The weather couldn't be better. We have a brilliant sun at this moment. The wind has diminished considerably and it has turned into a comfortable situation for the hundreds of people who came here to Dallas Love Field to witness the arrival of the president and his first lady. Now those of you who are waiting along the parade route uh, just to be sure that you find yourself in the proper location. Let's give it to you once again. The party is now ready to depart Love Field. It will go Mockingbird Lane to Lemon Avenue, then travel south on Lemon to Turtle Creek, Cedar Springs, through the downtown area on Harwood to Maine, west on Maine to Houston, through the triple underpass to Stemmons Freeway, then on to the trademark. The president's car is being delayed momentarily. We can't see from here exactly what is holding it up, but this is the moment where the Secret Service has its point of tension. As we have talked with many of these Secret Service men in the past few days, who have arranged for the president's security, they say, when the president stops moving, that's when we're concerned, because that is when the possibility of trouble comes to the forefront. And here comes the president now, In fact he's not in his limousine he's departed the limousine and he is walking he is reaching across the fence shaking hands shaking hands with many of the people who have come here to see him. He is closely accompanied by Dallas police officers and of course the Secret Service. But Mr. Kennedy stepped out of the automobile. He is now shaking hands. Mrs. Kennedy is right behind him and they are walking along the line of the fence shaking hands with some of the hundreds of people who have come here to view their arrival. Thousands of children now swarming, trying to get over the fence. The Dallas police trying to keep them back. And the security is tense at this time, but is going beautifully. And now the president and first lady are retreating from the fence. They're heading now for the official limousine. where Governor Connolly stands waiting their arrival so that they can make their way downtown and out to the trademark. But this was one of those impromptu moments for which President Kennedy is so well known. So many times you have heard that the Secret Service men suddenly find themselves without the president, that suddenly he has left them and stepped into the crowd, the milling throng, and decided to shake hands and give his personal greetings. And this, once again, he did. The gunmetal gray limousine, blue and gray, pulling away now from the fenced area. The president and Mrs. Kennedy seated on the back seat. Governor and Mrs. Connolly on the second seats or jump seats, and then the official driver and secret service men are in the front seat. A flying wedge of some one dozen Dallas police motorcycles leading the way, and the pace is picking up as they head for the departure gate and the trip downtown to the trademark.
0: The motorcade leaves Lovefield and heads for downtown Dallas. At the trade mart, the Kennedys will lunch with local dignitaries. Some of them are in the motorcade, Governor and Mrs Connolly, Mayor and Mrs Cabell. As the group moves towards the city centre, Kennedy spots a man in the crowd. The man waves a placard that reads, Kennedy, go home. I'm sure he's a nice fellow, Kennedy jokes. Further along the route, a little girl carries a placard that reads, President Kennedy, will you shake hands with me? The motorcade stops and Kennedy does just that. There are further stops and each time the car is mobbed by well-wishers. Crowds lining the route seem as anxious to see Jacqueline as they are to see the President himself. Local radio and television stations are giving saturation coverage to the presidential visit. As the motorcade turns right at the corner of Main and Houston, it heads north towards the Texas School Book Depository. On Elm Street, the cars turn left, heading towards the Stemmons Freeway and the Trademark. Urgently, a mobile radio unit cuts in on the live programming.
6: The president's car is now turning onto Elm Street, and it will be only a matter of minutes before he arrives at the Trademark. I was on Stimmons Freeway earlier, and even the freeway was jam-packed with spectators waiting their chance to see the president as he made his way toward the trade it, it, it appears as though something has happened in the
7: motorcade route. Something, I repeat, has happened in the motorcade route. There's numerous people running up the hill alongside Elm Street, there by the Stimmons Freeway. Several police officers are rushing up the hill at this time. Stand by just a moment, please. Something has happened in the motorcade route. Stand by, please. Parkland Hospital, there has been a shooting. Parkland Hospital has been advised to stand by for a severe gunshot wound. I repeat, a shooting in the motorcade in the downtown area. Parkland Hospital has been advised to stand by for a severe gunshot wound. The president's car is now going past me. The limousine is now traveling at a very high rate of speed. Secret service men standing up in the limousine. They are armed with submachine guns. It appears as though someone in the limousine might have been hit by the gunfire. Put me on, Phil, put me on. Phil, am I on? We're here at the trademark. The motorcade is coming by here. I can see many, many motorcycles coming by now, police motorcycles. Just heard a call on the radio for all units, along Industrial, to pick up the motorcade. Something has happened here. We understand there has been a shooting. The presidential car coming up now, we know it's the presidential car, you can see Mrs. Kennedy's pink suit, there's a secret service man spread eagle over the top of the car, we understand Governor and Mrs. Connolly are in the car with President and Mrs. Kennedy, we can't see who has been hit, if anybody's been hit, but apparently something is wrong here, something is terribly wrong, I'm in behind the motorcade, it looks as though they're going to Parkland Hospital, we're on the road to Parkland at this time. Secret Service men is still spread eagle over whoever is in the car, the President and Mrs. Kennedy, and as we understand, Governor and Mrs. Connolly. At this point, it looks as though it could have been one or two, or even all of the people within the car may have been the victims, may have been struck by shots. We don't know. Parkland Hospital in the distance, now on Harry Hines Boulevard, following behind the motorcade. Many, many police officers, maybe 20 or 25 motorcycle policemen, falling in behind at trademark. A huge crowd left behind, waiting expectantly to see the president. The motorcade now, motorcade now perhaps, two or three blocks ahead of me. They're approaching the entrance now to Parkland Hospital, traveling at a high rate of speed. Already police cars converging on Parkland from every angle, from every point. I'm pulling in now toward Parkland Hospital, coming to the approach. There's an officer waving me down. He's waving me around. There's a cordon. There's already a cordon of police officers running from their cars. From their vehicles here the official party as i can see it pulling around toward the emergency room of parkland hospital the policeman says no you cannot come in here you cannot come in here we'll let nobody else in i'm going to try to go around to the back of parkland i'm going around now and i will try to get around to the back of parkland and find out more details it was definitely the president's car we could see the first lady's pink suit that's the only identification we could see but we know it is the president's car Another car directly behind the presidential car. There were also parties in that car. Another Secret Service man spread eagle over them. We don't know. Perhaps there was some hit in that car as well. We're not sure. Coming around behind Parkland Hospital, more details as we have them. Ron Jenkins, KBOX motor
8: unit, number six. This is Pierce Alman from the Texas School Book Depository Building for WFAA News. Just a few minutes ago, the President of the United States turned from Houston Street onto Elm Street on his way to a scheduled luncheon appearance at the Stemmons Trademark. And as he went by the Texas School Book Depository, headed for the triple underpass, there were three loud, reverberating explosions. Nobody moved. Everyone seemed stunned. A few seemed to look around, wondering who has the firecrackers. Then suddenly the Secret Service men sprang into action. The convertible bearing the President and Mrs. Kennedy sped away, and officers, both plainclothes and uniformed, seemed to spring from everywhere at once, guns drawn, ordering people to lie flat. There are two witnesses who were near the president's car at the time of the explosions who say that shots were fired from which upper window we do not know. We do not and cannot confirm the reports at this time that the president has been shot. One witness says he definitely was shot, that he was hit twice, that he saw the president slump in his seat. As I say, this is not confirmed at this time. From where I am, the police have two witnesses. They are bringing them in now. I'm in the Texas School Book Depository Building. They're bringing some witnesses in now. We will try to learn further and relay word to those stations.
7: Jenkins at Parkland Hospital, and here, everybody's talking about a tragedy that should never have happened. We've received first unconfirmed reports as to conditions of President Kennedy and Governor Ralph, or rather, Governor John Connolly. And just now, we've received reports here at Parkland that Governor Connolly was shot in the upper left chest, and the first unconfirmed reports say the President was hit in the head. That's an unconfirmed report that the President was hit in the head. The president's wife, Jackie Kennedy, was not hurt. She walked into the hospital at her husband's stretcher side.
0: Malcolm Kilduff is relaxing, chatting to veteran journalist Merriman Smith in a car at the rear of the motorcade when they hear the shots.
5: The first time I heard a shot was just after having said to Merriman Smith, after looking at a sign, what in the world is the... The Texas Book Depository. My first impression was it was a firecracker. But the second shot, f- for some reason, we instinctively felt it was a rifle shot. Then when the third shot came, uh, which was nearer to the second shot than the second was to the first, uh, we couldn't tell whether the shots were coming. Uh, towards the motorcade or away from the motorcade we could tell it was coming from the right Uh, i would have to go uh, bang 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 about five seconds between the five and a half to six seconds between the first and second shot and then about two and a half seconds between the second and third shots about half the time in other words
0: As a secret service man clamors onto the presidential car, Kildoff is uncertain about the injuries, if any, to the occupants.
5: But, of course, still we didn't know uh, who had been hit or why or anything else. Uh, The only other indication that we had that there was something wrong in the first car was that we could see Agent Clint Hill jump off the running board of the follow-up car and run up to the president's car and jump on the rear platform of the president's car. That platform today, of course, is always uh, manned and protected. President Kennedy um, did not like to have agents riding on the car itself. He would not permit it. And uh, we could see Clint Hill jump on the rear end of the car and Jackie reaching out for him.
0: At Parkland Hospital, it becomes clear that Kennedy has indeed been seriously injured.
5: We pulled in right behind the car uh, at Parkland Hospital and, of course, looked into the car, and it was, by then, of course, we immediately knew what happened. I saw the president's head, which, of course, was in terrible condition. It was a mass of gore, is what it was, to put it very bluntly, and... uh, I don't mean to sound crude, but it's the only way that it can be said. It was it was just blood. Uh, just it, it was just a mess. Just a terrible mess.
0: Charles Brom, a local furniture salesman and himself a former soldier, is close to the motorcade when the shots are fired. He and his son have been waiting to see the president drive by.
2: People ask later, was Jacqueline Kennedy pretty or how she, how she was dressed? I have no idea of those... Uh, I was so fascinated by seeing the President of the United States that I couldn't take my eyes off of him. And when that first shot went off, I thought it was a a backfire from a motorcycle. But when his hands went up to the side, then I realized, my God, uh, he has been shot. And I grabbed the boy and threw him on the ground and fell on top of him, a natural infantry instinct that came to me. But there only were three shots. It was not a gang shooting. It was a third wasted shot that from the sound of it, and I'm I'm taking into account that I've heard these things go past me before, and I'm taking into account that I stopped a couple of them, that that third shot came nowhere near the parade. I felt that that was the hurried shot. I would say on the first shot, I was possibly 30 feet maximum from him now the car was approaching so on the second shot it was not more than 15 foot away when it happened and that is uh, on an almost direct line and one traffic lane away because he had stayed fairly well in the center lane it was clearly visible that he had been hit hit in the head and uh, even in, in my position in life I could see that the damage was severe to his head uh, it uh, it it was as though the area crimsoned. It was not uh, uh, a great flow of it, but you could see the area crimson around it. Uh, I did not see blood on the first shot.
0: Mayor Cabell is in the fourth car behind the Kennedy limousine. His is one of the cars which speeds away on the four-mile dash to Parkland Hospital.
9: We knew then, uh, when it went out uh, Stemmons Expressway, the remark was made, well... We either going to love Field or to Parkland Hospital and of course when we did when we turned off at industrial, it was obvious that we were headed for Parkland Hospital, which was a only a short distance from the scene. We followed uh, followed the presidential car and the vice presidential car to the hospital and I jumped out and uh, advised Ms Cabell to uh, stay with the car, and I was there in time to help uh, get both uh, the governor uh, and the president on their carriages for wheeling into the uh, operating room.
0: At the hospital, a stand-by emergency plan has been activated. Governor Kennedy
9: has been given a blood transfusion
6: at Parkland Hospital here in Dallas in an effort to save his life after he and Governor John Conley of Texas were shot in an assassination attempt in downtown Dallas. A priest has been ordered, emergency supplies of blood also being rushed to the hospital.
0: Back on Elm Street, the police have thrown a cordon around the book depository, but it's too much, too late. A fire engine sits absurdly at the entrance to the building. Witnesses tell over and over what they have seen.
10: There is some discussion now as to whether there was one or two shots that hit him, but the first shot rang out, and I was positive when I saw the look on his face and saw him grab his chest and saw the reaction of his wife that he had been shot. And just at that time, which was probably a a few seconds later, the second shot rang out, and he just absolutely went down into the seat of the car. Uh, There was a third shot that went, and by that time I had grabbed my little five-year-old boy who was with me and ran away uh, from the scene of the thing, but uh, the only thing that I did witness, and, and something I'm sorry I did witness very honestly, was that uh, the look on his face when that shot hit, and the look again on, on him and his wife's face when uh, the shot started to ring out, and it was very obviously that he was hit. The, the first two shots that, uh, that were heard, and uh, the first one hit the president. There was no doubt whatsoever because he, his face winced and he grabbed at himself and he slumped down. I do believe without any doubt that the second one hit him because he had an immediate reaction with that second shot. I do know there was a third shot, but as I say, by that time I had grabbed my boy and started to go, I did not witness uh, Governor Connolly uh,
0: being hit. Mayor Cabell is sure, too, of what he heard.
9: We were just making the turn, or just approaching the turn, uh, when the first shot rang out. Mrs. Campbell was looking directly at the building, the depository, but when the shot rang out, Mrs. Campbell said, Oh, Earl, a shot. And my first reaction, and, and I started to say, Oh, no, uh, uh, a big firecracker. And then, of course, the other two shots ran out, rang out in rather rapid succession. No question then as to the general direction from which they came, uh, nor that they were from a high-powered rifle. I uh, hunt quite a bit and am familiar with
1: various types of firearms.
0: Mrs Cabell tells her story. She was facing the book depository as the shots were fired.
1: Because I was facing the school book depository building, the moment that the first shot rang out, I did not have to turn my head. I just raised my eyes and I saw the gun in the window. I did not see a body ahead behind it and I said Earl it's a gun and then the next two shots rang out and this is hard to believe but we could smell the gunpowder.
0: Robert Jackson a photographer with the Dallas Times Herald was traveling in a car at the rear of the motorcade. And
9: we looked around and I just looked straight up ahead and the first thing I saw were these two Negro men in the window and immediately my eyes just followed up to where they were looking and that's when I saw the rifle. And I saw an old figure behind the rifle. All I could see was about three-fourths of the rifle. And maybe for no more than a second. And then it was drawn fairly slowly into the window.
0: Harold Norman is one of the men seen by Jackson. He was on the fifth floor of the orange-coloured brick-built depository when the shots were fired. Like everyone else, he had wanted to see the President.
11: We had the window open, and uh, by the time well, when the President came round... Well, we saw him. He was waving, seemed to be happy, and everyone. And about that time, well, uh, I heard a shot. And uh, one of the guys said, well, uh, somebody's uh, shooting at the president. I knew it was someone, It was the shots came from above us. I didn't know who it was or where, but I knew they were above us because I could even now hear the uh, empty cartridges hitting the floor. And I knew the shot came from above us. They were right over me. I was sitting almost directly on the window that the shots came from. And I could hear them very plainly. It just sound like, uh, you know, just you would drop an ordinary little something and just you know, just like that, just as rapidly as the shots were fired. And, uh, you know, boom, well, uh, you could tell it was no backfire. Boom, and clack, boom, clap, boom. boom. That's about how I think it was.
0: Not everyone is in agreement about what's happened. Caroline Walther was a block away from the book depository and had a clear view of the building as the motorcade passed.
12: Well, I saw this man in in the window and he had a, a gun in his hands pointed downward. The man evidently was in a kneeling position because his forearms were resting on the window sill. There was another man... Standing beside him, but I only saw a portion of his body because he he was standing partly against uh, behind the window, you know, only halfway in the window, and the window was dirty and I couldn't see his face up above. Well, where the window was pushed up, and it startled me, and uh, then I thought, well, they probably have guards, possibly in all the buildings. So uh, I didn't say anything. And just uh, right away, someone said, Here they come. And I heard one shot, and I thought at the time that the first shot was a firecracker. And uh, after the uh, last car passed me, I started walking back to work. And I had reached the curb, and uh, two more shots. And then uh, a second, two seconds later, and one more that uh, wasn't as loud as the others. But the second and third shot were right together. And uh, then I thought, oh, it's gunshot. And I turned and started back up Elm Street. And a woman looked at me and pointed at this building. And she said He is in that field.
0: As yet, the extent of Kennedy's injuries haven't been made known to the public. News of the shooting is just beginning to spread beyond Dallas. Elsewhere, the radios play on. In many cases, a song from the Beatles' second LP, which has been released that morning.
4: Tomorrow, I miss you. Pretend that I'm missing the lips I am missing, and hope that my dreams will come true. And then while I'm away, I'll ride home every day, and I'll say.
0: Parkland Hospital, the pointless transfusions go on. Mrs. Cabell spends some of the time with Jacqueline Kennedy.
1: She was sitting in a straight chair up against the door of emergency room number one when I walked up with the gentleman who had come out to the car and asked me if I would go in and sit with Mrs. Kennedy because it seems that her secretaries then were back in the press room. And as for women, she was alone because Mrs. Connolly had gone up by this time to the operating room with Governor Connolly. And I walked up to her, and it was very difficult for me to say anything, of course. I simply said, Mrs. Kennedy, I am Elizabeth Campbell, and I am here to do whatever I can for you. And one of the Secret Service men put a chair by her and about that time one of the nurses brought her coffee while i was there with her she refused all sedation she did drink the coffee shall i tell you the rest Yes. she asked for a cigarette and my purse was on the floor down by the chair and when i reached down to get my purse I got the cigarettes out, and I looked up, and she was gone. And I looked over, and apparently they had given Mrs. Kennedy emergency room number three, which adjoined one, because her purse was on a carriage in that room. And she was fumbling in her purse for a cigarette. And I said, Mrs. Kennedy, I have a cigarette here for you. And I I don't think she even heard me. Finally, she found the cigarette. And then she turned and looked at me as though she had never seen me before. She said, but I don't have a match.
0: Finally, it's Malcolm Kilduff who enters the press room of the hospital and delivers a short statement to the waiting journalists.
5: President John F. Kennedy died at approximately 1pm of a gunshot wound in the brain.
0: Within minutes, the news is flashing around the world.
6: Just a moment, just a moment, we have a bulletin coming in. We now switch you directly to Parkland Hospital and KBOX News Director Bill Hampton. The President of the United
13: States is dead. I have just talked to Father Oscar Hubert...
0: who administered the last rites to the president is Oscar Hubert.
14: As I walked in, I saw the president lying on an emergency table. Uh, I noticed that his lower extremities were extremely white, and the thought came to me, there's no blood in this man. He was covered with a sheet from his head down to below his knees. And I, the president's wife was standing at the right side of the, of the president. And uh, I walked around her and expressed my sympathy briefly, and immediately gave conditional absolution to the president. I removed the sheet down to the tip of his nose, and I anointed him with the holy oils, giving him the, the uh, extreme unction, as we called it at that time. Is now called the sacrament of the sick, and uh, put the sheet back over his face. And I did not know where he had been shot, where the bullets had struck him, and I had no thought of looking for anything like that. So then, shortly after this, uh, the crowd in the uh, emergency room dispersed. And I went out to the corridor. The president's wife was seated in the chair. I walked over to her and expressed my sympathy to her and that of my parishioners. And she thanked me very graciously and asked me to pray for the president. But I will never forget, of course, the agonized look on the president's wife, on what shall I call her, Mrs. Kennedy's face. She seemed to be in a daze.
0: As quickly as possible, the gruesome task of moving the President's body from the hospital to Air Force One is begun. Waiting ambulance men are asked to help.
7: We were standing by there, the, one of the secret Service men came up and uh, told us that we would have to help uh, putting the President into the casket and getting him to the airport before we put the President in his casket, or uh, the President's wife. Place took her wedding band, it, it looked to be like her wedding band, off of her finger and put it on the dance and kissed
0: his hand. Caught in the momentum of events, Malcolm Kildoff finds himself only gradually coming to terms with what has happened.
5: Well, the magnitude of the event, I don't think hit me at any one particular moment. I think uh, once I looked into the car, that was a step... Once I did see the President's body on the emergency table, that was another step. Uh, when a Secret Service agent told me he was dead, that was another step, and it, it came in a succession of steps over a period of maybe uh, 20 minutes. So it was not one big shock at one, one time as it had been, say, for Mrs. Kennedy.
0: The bronze coffin is wheeled from the hospital. Jacqueline Kennedy walks beside it. Her pink suit spattered with blood. In the early November afternoon, John Kennedy's body is driven from Parkland Hospital to Love Field. It's just three hours since his arrival in the city. Merriman Smith, the UPI correspondent at the White House, boards the plane with the Kennedy Group and prepares for the return to Washington.
3: A Dallas police officer drove me from the hospital to the airport, and I went aboard Air Force One. The large centre cabin was darkened, all shades drawn Members of the Kennedy staff sitting stunned, staring straight ahead, some crying softly. Sarah T. Hughes, 67-year-old federal judge, old friend of the Johnsons, rushed in a special car to the big white ramp at the front of Air Force One. Someone pressed a small black Bible into the hands of the judge as she went aboard. Secret Service agents, gently placed the coffin in the rear cabin of the plane, a cabin, incidentally, which served as the living room for the president and his family when they were airborne. Jackie went to a small bedroom. She wanted a few moments to compose herself. Then Mrs. Kennedy walked down the narrow corridor from her bedchamber and into the lounge. She was dry-eyed, but her face was a, a mask of shock. As a man might lead a small child, Johnson took her hand and led Jackie to a place at his left side. Mrs. Johnson stood at his right. Johnson then nodded to the judge. And thus, a new chapter of American history began.
1: I do solemnly swear swear that I will faithfully faithfully execute the Office of President of the United
13: States States. And and will to the best of my ability Reserve. Reserve. Text.
3: Text. Constitution of the United States. Constitution of the United States. The ceremony had taken only two minutes. It was 2.38 p.m. Central Standard Time, and the president called out quite firmly, now let's get airborne. The pilot, Colonel James Swindoll, immediately started the engines of the big gleaming silver and blue fan jet, and in another few minutes, Air Force One roared down the Dallas runway. Once the plane was airborne, the Johnsons settled down in the lounge where the swearing-in ceremony had taken place. Mrs. Kennedy left her bedroom again and walked slowly down the corridor to the rear cabin. She sat down beside the coffin and there she remained throughout the flight, never more than a matter of inches from her husband's body. As Air Force One sped toward the nation's capital, Johnson got to work with members of his staff. He drafted what was to be his first public statement. Then he placed a special radio telephone call to Mrs. Rose Kennedy, the late president's mother. By this time it was dark. We could see the lights of Andrews Air Force Base coming up fast. We put down for a glass smooth landing at 5.59 Washington time.